0: i am been Listening to the Bring Them Home Aliyah podcast, hosted by Josh Wander.
1: Welcome back to Bring Them Home. This is Josh Wander from Yerushalayim, Ira Kodesh. Today we have a very special guest, a musical star by the name of Chaim David from originally from South Africa, but for many, many years from the old city of Yerushalayim. I'm sure you've heard his songs, and he is uh, he is honoring us today to speak a little bit about his history and what he's been through, and, and I'm excited about uh, about this show. Chaim David, welcome to the show.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Sheriff Josh. Thank you so much, all the listeners and uh, all the wonderful people out there.
1: So I've known you for a few years, Um uh, thirty plus years i think I, w- I sung on one of your first uh, albums and yeah. um and but i I don't know your your roots so much I know south africa but but where where did you come from how did you get here to so tell us a little bit about your your upbringing oh.
0: so uh okay uh i came to the, let's start with my first trip out of south africa let's, let's skip that whole process got to, um, my first choice was to come to Eretz Israel and to do uh, w- what they did in those days was very popular, I don't know if it still is, the volunteer and go to a kibbutz and they, you know, it had an attach- attachment to it, we all had some kind of Zionist upbringing through the uh, orthodox schools in South Africa and the Zionist movements and Bnei Akiva, Habonim, all kinds of very Zionist kind of youth uh, youth programs that one would go on in South Africa, uh, and um, I don't know. Some once one one point in my life, at about eighteen or nineteen, I think it was, I said, "No, I got to get out of this country." I knew that the, the 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 South African dance was not my dance. It wasn't my song. It wasn't my future. I wasn't interested. I was interested in something holier and spiritual, and I just knew that I, I don't know, I wasn't from, but I had a Kesha to Eretz Israel that I didn't know where it was from, and I decided I would go to South Africa, so uh, to Israel. And I did, I got, had a cousin who was working in the Jewish, uh, Israeli embassy, or the South African embassy in Israel, and she set me up, I went to Kibbutz for nine months. That was the beginning. Uh, of course, I didn't really go to the Yiddish side of things, I went to the Eretz Yisrael side. of things. I, I fell in love with Eretz Yisrael. I used to sit on—we had a, a little dormitory there, you know, building of about 70 years old or something—and I would stand on the roof and I would look at the sky, and I would, you know, smell the smells of kibbutzim, and you know, everybody knows what that smells like, I guess. And I would just like just rejoice on the neshama level or nefesh level, or ruach level—I don't know what. And I fell in love with Eretz Yisrael, just the actual Eretz Yisrael. No spiritual connection, not on the level of uh, Aliyah or that it's a mitzvah to live in Israel. It was just so precious to me.
1: Can I interrupt? Because this is a, a yeah, point which, th- this may, may may be confusing for many people that are listening. Because many Orthodox people around the world say that Eretz Yisrael is purely spiritual and how 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 does one connect to Eretz Yisrael without the spiritual? Is my question.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, it, you don't, you, you absolutely don't have to come from a, a perspective of being uh, uh, shomer mitzvahs and imuna. It, it's it's great if you got it, but it doesn't mean that you if you don't got it that there's no way. It's not true. Eretz Yisrael attracts everybody. Any Jew has a Netiyah Pnimit, which, just like we have a Keshet to the shechina, without really knowing what or why or how, uh, you know, we just know that there's a Torah, there's a Ten Commandments, the Aserat HaDeVrot, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, we know there was a David a Melech, who was a warrior and a, and, a, and a great and a pious Jew, a songster, a writer of the most beautiful psalms. You know that Moshe was a great, uh, the greatest of prophets. You don't have to be, you know, frum uh, to make that kesher, and so many, many, many people. Are sometimes the most unexpected people do aliyah from families where there's lots of frum Jews out there, and suddenly somebody who was like way out, you know, maybe to the left or not at all deeply connected to observance, suddenly decide that they gotta go live in Israel.
1: So when you Uh, speak about the the being connected to Torah without spirituality, from what my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong is that you're suggesting that there's a spirituality which is hidden not that there isn't spirituality there's a spirituality which is not overt that is there's something that people just feel in in inside of them and it's not something that's connected through the traditional uh, yeshiva mitzvah mitzvah train
0: yeah, again, I don't want to like belittle the, the great work that's going on in the firm world, and the yeshiva world, and, and the cure uh, of efforts that have been made, and some, you know, some more enlightened than others. I don't know want to go into the details. But um, that, that is not what is going to bring a Jew to his... It's not alone what's going to bring a Jew to commit himself to Eretz Yisrael or Mitzvahs. It's going to come from inside. And it's going to come from deep place inside. And, I mean, you know, it's not always understood why somebody suddenly decides that they want to come to Israel. Similarly, it's not clear why somebody is ready to start to drop a secular way of life and keep Shabbos and eat kosher and, you know, and so on and so forth. And that, you know, that a woman decides she has to go to the mikvah and there's no other way anymore. She has to light candles and keep Shabbos. It's just not... It's just not clear what, what works for every individual. There are a couple of prototypes which you can assume for sure, but there's no, there's no one, one rule. Bani Shalom you know, creates a relationship with every single human being in the most awesome and sometimes unexpected ways.
1: So I know that you were inspired and influenced by Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach. Tell us a little bit about your connection to him and how he helped you come there to Israel.
0: Good. I'll, I'll give a I'll try to make it short because it's a very long story, but it, it spans over a year. The actual process of, get, of me being in Israel today, from the time I first met him, a year and a bit or somewhere around there, I left the kibbutz. At a, about eight ten months after my arrival in Israel, when I was young. I was just in the early twenties, and maybe I was twenty. I don't know exactly. I think it was the early twenties, and I was. On my way to find spirituality, now, again, this word spirituality is a crazy word. It doesn't mean always that person who does the external spirituality is internally spiritual and vice versa. Not somebody who is internally spiritual uh, is involved with external spirituality. It doesn't, doesn't mean that. It means that it's really something panemis. And um, so I was on my way to try, uh, I, I was on a yoga path be all in honesty, nothing to do with kai you know, And I was on my way to Europe to go and join uh, an ashram or a yoga center, I didn't know exactly where I was going, but I had some, you know, connections through the kibbutz, from the volunteers from Europe, and I was going to go to Amsterdam, I met some people that I knew, and then I uh, looked around and I decided to go to an ashram, ashram is a yoga center, and I'm busy with yoga day and night. Uh, up in the morning at 6, having cold showers, two hours of yoga. We had a vegetarian restaurant. I was, in the, I was cooking there. I was uh, eating very healthy. I was very physical fit because of the yoga. And doing all kinds of spiritual things that we, as a spiritual center, would do. I was wearing all white garments, white robes. I had a white turban all the time. A uh, whole long story. Uh, forget about the details; it's not that relevant. And then, as I'm moving along, please at any point ask questions because I know that you know you might. You sure. Might no, this is
1: I'm, I'm fascinated because again, you're you're touching on an, an issue which I think a lot of people feel or or know, and they and is not widely discussed discussed, which is that there are people that are. Look on the outside as being very religious, but may not be connected at all, and those that are on the outside look completely secular but are very connected on the inside so that that's an important point to make okay
0: and again, it's not everybody, and it's not one there's no one rule it's it's very very individual thing that's why I think, and forgive me for jumping my own opinion, but I think that's why the Torah is very, very particular about not saying negative things about people who you don't know their their deepest depths. You have no idea. And the and Hara issues that we've come across many, many times through the Chavetz Chaim, and all the halachic issues and, uh, you know, in Shmir Salashan, etc. It's all to tell us that we don't know what's going on even in the most secular person or the most religious person Internally, it's just not a good practice to figure out. You see the prototype and throw out your feelings because there's big surprises amongst us even. There are very deep connections. We have spiritual roots that go back. Way way back, you know, as of course we all know back to Avram and Sarah and and Yitzhak and the and Yaakov and their holy Rabbitsons. we all know that, and uh, we just don't know where we what we got from any particular source. Some of us come back from, from tremendous Talmud chachamim or great warriors or great and nefesh. So it just doesn't it's just not clear where anybody's roots are. So the spirituality is not a physical outside. Or an outside kind of thing, it's a very deep inner thing, and of course you'll see it. It'll come out also on the on the outside, anyway. So I'm there in uh, Europe and then uh, doing my yoga, and suddenly I get this message from one of the uh, another Jewish guy. There's a lot of Jews in, in in that world who are in the yoga world who fell out of, of you know traditional Yiddishkeit and found themselves in a lot of other practices. And sad enough, some of them never leave it. And uh, they end up there. It's very sad. It's, uh, it's very, very sad because we've lost a big number of very beautiful Yidin who might be able to express themselves in Torah values and eating kashras and doing mitzvahs and, the, and marrying the, into the family and the woman goes to the mikvah. You know, we uh, of course we, we, we choose that as the prototype of how a Yid has to be. That has to be. The only trouble is that uh, people didn't get the right education or the right influences. And their parents or their, you know, environment didn't show them the beauty of what it is to be a Yid who loves Hashem and does his mitzvahs. Very, very sad. So anyway, so again, you can just ask on any point you wish. I I see that, you know, it's, it's it's your call. No, no plan. Just please continue.
1: continue. You're in Europe. You're doing yoga, and how did how did that uh, transform did or evolve to into to, right. uh, to where you are today? Right. All right. So there was one
0: young guy there, and uh, another Jewish guy who was in charge of, I think, the kitchen. It was a very responsible person. in The whole maarechet there, the whole system of this uh, yogi uh, ashram, and he says to me, "You know, I hear yeah, there's the singing rabbi in this, in the, in uh, giving a concert sometime. I think that night, the next night." and uh I just kind of looked at him like because at this point, a rabbi was not uh in my feelers, I was thinking about you know yogis and people who knew black magic and to knew how to to maneuver uh spirits I, I didn't know what I knew, but i was, I was thinking in a different format, and the rabbis I'd met in my uh orthodox past were not like to me somebody that I thought as spiritual or or the people that I looked up to for guidance in life, it just didn't it didn't hit me that they were that they were the, the address. So to hear about a rabbi who is actually they called him the singing rabbi, the dancing rabbi, harebe amirake They called him in Hebrew, in Hebrew. That was his name as a and in the early years of his career, uh, career as a, as that great singer that Rabbi Shlomo was. So anyway, the Amerake saw the dancing rabbi is giving a concert. I I was a little confused because rabbis usually give sermons and chazans sing songs and dance and they get get excited. I didn't get the uh, combination because all the rabbis I knew were like very awesome, scary kind of people who did not remind me of a dancing, singing Mm -hmm. individual. So that was already a surprise to me. And uh, Judaism wasn't like on my priority list at this particular moment. You know, sad enough. Okay, and then I told, okay, so you know, I did go. I did, uh, you know, had the battle to figure it out. I got dressed up. Now, the getting dressed up in those days was a white robe and a big white turban to go out into the into the you know the the large world of Amsterdam. You had to dress up because you were representing a movement there, a a cult. They called Sikhs actually, and. uh, and I also had a long beard. We didn't cut our hair. We had a, our own uh, cultish, uh, whatever they did, they, I did. And we didn't, grow, we didn't cut our beards or our hair. So I had this crop of hair and beard. And we to fold our head up into a little knot right over there where the tefillin sits on the top of the uh, the rosh. <laughs> right at that point, we would be a little bit of a, we would tie it into a bun, a rishi knot, I think it was called, and then we cover our heads with this big turban over that. So I'm on my way to see the singing rabbi, and uh, he was late. I don't know if you know Reb Shlomo's Teva. He, he was known to be a little bit late in many occasions. Uh, so everybody who was there to come see him, there's a lot of youngsters of all kinds of backgrounds. We waiting for it. So everybody here is a different kind of a, a different kind of a. I don't know what they all were. they're vegetarians, the yogis, if people who are getting high on, on, on dope, there are people who are, who are uh, Buddhists, the people who are Muslims, the people who are Jews and not Jews, not practicing Jews, but Jews who are a little bit on the periphery looking into the different options out there. Uh, don't ask. There's every kind of person. And uh, everybody sit there waiting. And so you know, you sit if you're a meditator, you're meditating. If you're a yogi, you're doing some movements. Uh, whatever you happen to do, if you like to study, you're sitting with a book and learning some 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 culture or the other. Anyway, so after a period of time, Rishlama walks in and he apologizes, and he's got a few friends with him, and his guitar, and he always carried a big bag, a big satchel. A case, a suitcase, and inside there was a number of books. This is how he would come to a concert with his instrument and his satchel of books. Sfarim, Sfarim in Chasidis, Sfarim in the Parshas, Sfarim in Midras, Sfarim in any way, anything that he felt was applicable for the particular Pasha the Shavuhr, or the Voda that he was doing, or if it was a Chag that was coming up, and so on and so forth. And of course, he knew that he wasn't talking to only Jews. He was talking to many non-Jews, so he would approach his uh, concert with music and songs and stories and Hasidic stories for very good reason to keep people interested and inspired by what he had to say. Here's the here's the crazy thing: instead of going up to the 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 the, bimmer, the bimmer, to the uh, stage, he would uh, he would he would listen to what he did. He didn't walk up to the stage, and he was late. So you would expect, hey, get on with the show, right? Not, not at all. He walked in, and he said, hey, holy chavra. And everybody was standing in like in a circle to greet him, because they all realized this is a holy man, happens to be a Jewish holy man, like usually it's a, a non-Jewish holy man. Today it's a Jewish holy man, because he was known for that. And you would walk, and he would walk in, and he would, did a circle, walked around the whole room. Shalom Aleichem, how are you? He would give everybody a little, a little bit of a smile, or a tap on the cheek, or a little something—a hug, anything that was warm and embracing, and kind. Because he knew that a lot of youngsters were confused, lost, left their homes, left their schools, and they left their their home, their home environments, and were lonely and were sad, or depressed, or whatever the thing. So he knew straight away that open up hearts, open up people's. Uh, feelings of, of of warmth, of joy, of a smile, of a joke, or something cute. And they would do that for every single one in the room. And you know, that took a while. A real long while because he would sometimes ask somebody a little bit more than just, you know, what's your name, this and that. He might have remembered somebody from another, another trip of his. He saw thousands and thousands of people. Anyway, he comes to the end of the circle and I'm waiting patiently and I'm enjoying watching him because he's very up- upbeat and happy and sweet and very un- unusual to me. And it got to me and I said, Shalom Rabbi, I put out my hand. And I looked at him. And listen to what he says. He looks at me. He gives me a skira achas, you could call it a quick, you know. And he doesn't smile. He looks at me, he goes, Oi geval. You know what, a Kreutz? He gives me the biggest no smile, no pat on the cheek, no hug, and just an and he's not smiling. and I'm almost embarrassed. Everybody's looking at everybody, so obviously they're looking at me, and uh, I had no idea why why I was so different to in his eyes. Anyway, that's the big, that was my meeting Shlomo for the first time in my life. Scary, no?
1: So, so was that a wake up moment for you? Did you decide to uh, continue your studies of uh, Jewish practice from because of that?
0: Uh, no, not at all. I, 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 it just, I just, in a certain way, I it opened me up very wide open, but it also closed me down very, very, very tight. Not against or or by because of you know what this rabbi related to me in such a negative way i thought it didn't it, it just upset me it just like really bothered me that, that i was so different to everybody else in the room i won't say more than that it, it it almost left my mind after that particular i continued in the ashram nothing changed but again no no real connection to judaism i continued my journey i went to uh, uh from Amsterdam, I went to uh, uh, France, I went up to the French Alps, I was in a Sufi camp, uh, it was a very special summer, I don't know what, what I did there, there were some Jews there, Sufism is a mixture of different religions, and then I ended up in London a year, a year, about six months later. So all in all, I was in London then with a different group, none of the white turban stuff, and there, again, I'm singing songs and music and this and that. I was always playing, singing music. Cause that's, that was my, my, my childhood. And I loved music, singing. I had some good songs, and I was singing some good folk songs and spiritual songs. Now everything was a little bit more spiritual, a very different spirituality to our Yiddish kind. There was a universality. And everything it has a certain unity, and everybody is really one. Not exactly what we learn in the and in, in, in our tradition. It, equating equating every man is yeah, like every man, you know. And true enough, we are physically very much like every man. But there's something going on in a year that in the shama is a different uh, griya that we are connected to, are a part of. It's us. It's a different thing going on in our mitzvahs, in our observance of certain mitzvahs and purity mitzvahs and shabbos and uh, family purity so here I am um, in uh, London and uh, this time I'm staying at an aunt of mine and she was taking care of me and I'm singing music and this time I'm not wearing wearing any white robes, I'm wearing the jeans and long hair and, and the hippie clothes and stuff and somebody walks up to me and he says why are you singing these songs, why are you not singing Karlobach Okay, this is approximately a year later and as far as I remember, I don't think I remembered anything further about Kalabach. I don't know if I had any cassettes. Maybe there were a couple of cassettes in the, in the restaurant, in the ashram. And I would hear from time to time Shlomo's songs, because he too was one of the holy musicians in the, in the spiritual world of the hippie generation that I, I had grown up in. Anyway, I took no serious note about it, but that as much as I remembered about Rup Shlomo Karlebach suddenly this guy comes up to me and says why are you not singing i And not a Jewish guy I don't know too much about him, his name I didn't know his name after or before he just he showed up in my life for a couple of weeks and disappeared again and I said to him what's wrong with the songs I'm singing so I, he said to me ah, listen to what he said to me he says, but that's not your roots you hear this Absolutely. This is not your root. And i tell you the truth. It can be any spiritual path of any kind of religion. You all know about roots. You know, you find out about roots somewhere along the line, where you come from, where did you connect to on a soul level, on a, on a spirit level, and so on and so forth. It's, and if you're away from, you know, if you're coming to us, then maybe your, your roots are with us and join us. But he didn't say that. He said, you are out of your roots. You came from a root, maybe he didn't say too much, he didn't say that, but this is the way I'm touching ta- I'm, I'm it, is that you come from deep roots. Why are you choosing, you know, stuff that's just is like new new inventions that are just showing up in the world because of the hippies and, and some kind of spiritual, you know, I don't know what the word is, uh, Con- combinations and concoctions that some r- r- gurus have figured out that I can be a, get to, the, you know, <laughs> start a business and start an ashram, start of this, start of that. Anyway, that's what happened. And I told him, I, you know, I was a little bit moved by the simplicity of his answer, but I, I I was a little bit confused what to answer him. I told him that I don't know Shlomo Kalbach's music. You know, but they kind of agreed with him. So he left me, and I thought I I was off off the hook with this guy because he was a little bit of, you know a little bit of a a soul changer you know that he was like approaching me on a soul level. that was going to change something in my life if he would persist. And I thought it was over, and I was okay with that. I didn't need to change anything. I I thought, of course, we all kind of stupid when we in in the dark, you know, we don't know where we're holding. So he. Left me, and here's what happened. Two days later, he comes back. Now he's carrying a bag, and he tells me he's got a gift for me. And I'm saying, what, what? What are you giving me gifts? I don't know. Some, some, something told me this is, this is, this bothered me. I, I, I didn't know that you know, an Indian, Sony, Sony I didn't know that, but I had a feeling that. I, I didn't want this gift. I didn't care for it, you know. And I, I but it, but nonetheless, he was uh, he was clever. He looked at me. He says, "Oh, yeah, but you're gonna like this. It's this something you're gonna really enjoy," which is nice to hear that he had thought about me as a, as an individual. And so, this is something you're gonna like. So I said, "Okay," you know. I kind of picked up that this is a time to open up a little bit, shim and not Shem, Shem is sending me somebody. I don't know too much about Hashem at this point. You know, I'm not thinking those terms. I'm thinking about the, the spirit of the moment of the, of the, uh, there is a Hashkach HaPratis, but I didn't know too much about Hashkach ha-pratis. And so anyway, I just saw, saw this guy was sincere. So I, I asked him, should I look at it? And I, he said, sure, please look at it. Open it up. It's the songbook of Shlomo Khan, And it had come out a year or two earlier. I think it was the first of the seven books of Shlomo, it was 1970. this is 1973 that the book came out and this is 1975, we're talking about 46 years ago, and um, that's a long time, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a long time,
0: right, okay, so, uh, but that that's what it is, and I, I thanked him and that's the last I saw him, I never saw him again, at least I don't think I did, and I took it home, and I started to work on the songs, and I learned five songs: Hanish Shamalach, Ma Mikdash Melech, the song of God's Temple, Amele Lamanachai Verei for my brothers and friends. And you should understand, I had no Jewish friends. You know, my my aunt Edel, she should you know Alei Sholem, was very much not uh, you know not Jew not Jewish oriented in any way that I grew up, and so I didn't have any Jewish connections. And I'm singing in my little room in her house. Lamana for my brothers and friends. I wish the best, I wish the best. I mean, whatever the words are. I'm wishing the best for you. And I don't have any brothers and friends in, in the Jewish world, so it's kind of weird, but I'm singing these songs with mamish, all my shaman, and all my my heart, and uh, somehow they're connecting so deep to my soul. You know, this is a great
1: example, by the way, Chaim David, of how yes. one can have a life-changing effect on someone by just meeting someone, you know, once and having a few words with them, speaking to them just uh, for a moment, and you can literally change someone's. life. you may not know about it. Um, but, but it can change a person's whole life. It, it's it's 100%. incredible.
0: 100%, 100%. And, you know, there's something about persistence that can either turn people off or turn people on. In general, we want to persist because we want to get something over and say something, make a message, whatever that is. I hear I'm talking about Yiddishkeit. And, uh, and he was persistent, and, and he had a shlichas, this young man. I don't know who he was. I, I don't know anything about him. His name, is American, British, I don't know anything. Uh, but whatever it is, he did a shlichas. He got me that book, and I'm now singing, this is my Yiddishkeit, this is my Torah, this is my Tzfilah, this is my meditation, but it's only this and nothing else. There's no shul, there's no Beit Medrash. There's no, no Shulchan Aruch. There's no Kabbalah Shabbat or anything. Anything. But these songs are Mamish Now again, we're talking about the Jewish music. So here, of course, I have to tell you that the great segula of Rabbi Shlomo's songs are so deep. They have so much effect on people in their Avodah Hashem. Not even Avodah Hashem, just to connect. Just to make it start. Just to say, wow, what did did I miss all my life? How come I didn't know about this feeling or this concept of that I'm thinking about singing about my brothers and friends and wishing them the best. How is that possible? And because of the house of God, suddenly we're talking about a base Mikdash outside of everything else that we knew. Not an ashram, not a church, not a temple. It's mamish, the house of Hashem. Anyway, so, so those songs were accompanying me for the rest of that Tukufa and to this very day, 46 years later, and uh, in different ways. Of course, there's new songs and there's all the new things that happened since then. But here I'm walking the streets of London i come in London, right? I was caught, Mamish, the, the darkest of the darkest. Mamish the darkest. In terms of spirituality, there were drag-pulled clubs all over the place. Very strange things going on that, you know, according to our tradition was not a good place to be. And uh, there it was. And, uh, and suddenly I walked past the billboard and what I see? Shlomo Kalabach is playing a concert at a club somewhere in London City, London Town, they call it, and everybody invited to come and join the Rabbi, rabbi Shlomo Kalabach will be giving a special edition of his beautiful music. I don't know, whatever it's said. I don't remember any part of it, but I did see it, and I have this back and forth going on in my mind. Two things. But the Rabbi Shlomo, when he met me, all he could do was give me a big, big krech. I don't want to go through that again. Right? You might think, right? That was no, the one side of it. Sure. Second side of it is that I'm singing songs every day. And this is my Yiddishkeit. This is my Neshama connection. So obviously I'm going through a big uh, internal uh, battle there. As you know, the story, obviously, it turned out I did go with the right uh, choice, I believe. And I went straight to the concert, and there I met Shlomo Kalabach again. And this time, he was already on the stage, so I didn't have to go through that meeting process. And then, the, at the end of the night, I was already feeling that, wow, this is really something. By the way, this is not a young, spiritual kind of a chabra like I that I've been with in, in Amsterdam, this is now a Jewish gathering, and not a, not a religious one, a secular one, I think they were him, or maybe they were Beitar, I don't think they were Bnei Akiva, because it didn't seem to be too religious going on, but whatever it was, there was a Jewish thing going on there, and, and Shlomo was invited, and he was doing his thing. At the end of the night, I... I uh, I decided I had to speak to him about my plans. I was going to go become a yoga. I was going to go to Canada and learn with some swami. You know, these orange clad guys. Forget about it. You don't have to know about them. But I was on my way. That was where I was holding. I was still st- stuck in that whole thing. Anyway, I did go. And I did stop and stand in line to say hello to Rav It was late. I don't know what time. It was at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. I asked him if he could talk to me. So he told me that he had another another event or some, something of that nature. Could I join him tomorrow in his hotel? He gave me his card, his phone number. At the same time, he was sure to take my phone number. He was that kind of person. He took everybody's numbers. And you know, in those days, there were no prom pilots. The prom pilots were the first generation. There were no cell phones. There was none of that. You know, the stuff that we went through till we got to the modern-day phones, none of that had started. So everything was on pieces of paper, nothing on the, he didn't have anything to write on It's electronic, you know, unlike today. And he's, you know, anyway, he wrote my number, I wrote, I took his card and his number, and I would meet him in the hotel four o'clock the next day, and I knocked on his door, there Shalom LeKalabah, Alava Shalom, all alone, in his room, a bed with his guitar on the bed. Surely enough, he was probably getting ready for some concert coming up later today. And he welcomed me and let me into the room. And I walked in the room and I, I, this is the craziest thing. I, I, I was ready to tell him about my whole plans and what else, my love for yoga and blah, blah, blah and everything that I've been through. And I mamish and and I blanked out. My whole mind just blanked out. Who obviously was orchestrated from above or the, or the presence of a Shlomo awed me, or floored me. I don't know what the word is. i couldn't utter a sound. So I didn't know what to do. He was waiting on me because he invited me. <laughs> you get the feeling? You can know, like, imagine my feelings. Of, like Starstruck. Starstruck. But I didn't look at him as a starstruck. It was just that I didn't know what to say. I had no real, you know, whatever I think I was thinking until then was it was irrelevant because of Shlomo's being. His being was something else. It was a different world. You don't talk to about yoga to, a, you know, a Jewish giant. you in it's, just, it's got nothing to do with his he's But he knew me and he wanted to know me. So I saw the guitar and I said, "Hey, Reb Shlomo, could I sing you a song?" I, I took the, he gave me the permission, I took the guitar, and sang. On the Shamalach or I sang Mikdash um, Melech, I don't know what song I sang. One of his, two of his. And he looked at me, and I didn't know what to think. He was behind me a little bit, and I was kind of feeling a little bit awkward, because maybe he was going to crutch me out again. But instead, he smiled and said, Hey, David, I was only, named, I was only called David in those days. David, what are you doing tonight? I said, I don't know. I have no idea. Hey, do you want to come play with me in concert tonight? This is crazy. I have five songs on my belt of his, if I'm lucky. Who knows if I sing them in the same key as his. And he's asking me to come and spend a night, you know, a whole musical night with him and be part of his band. Doesn't doesn't really jive, right? You don't do that these days. Nobody would do that these days. And I didn't know what to make of it. I said that, you know, I sort of hummed in the heart, and I, I sort of let him know that I wasn't on the level. He looked at me, she says, You? I'm a world-class guitarist. Incredible guitarist, singer, whatever he said. He just made me feel, and that was his thing. He just made people feel that they're way beyond who they think they are. And they just have no idea how great they are. Whatever it is, he just touched me in a deep way. And he made me feel that, not of that, he said, I need you. I got to have you. I, I need you for my band. I'm not sure I got anybody coming. So he really made me feel that he needed me. And sure enough, I, you know, said, okay, all right, listen. If you need me, who am I to say no to such a nice man? And I showed up at his concert. And I won't say details, but I really didn't know what I was doing. And I tried to play as quiet as possible or not play at all. And that's how it went. And, okay, the, the end of the story, it's really, uh, it's, it's been a while, is that he invited me out a few times. He didn't let go all the time he was in London. Uh, he tried to get more, more time with me. And what he did was he was on the way to a beach front the south of England and he's, he's going with some several some friends. Please come and join us. It's going to be a wonderful day. And he he's always trying to make me comfortable. He's going to stop over by a friend of mine who has a kosher bakery and he's going to sell us hot, hot crossed buns or something that's very British or muffins. And the best, best muffins in the city, the highest, you got to join us. He did all this stuff just to get me to come. And I went, and sure enough, that's how I started. He didn't ask me anything about me, anything about me that day. Another thing, he didn't ask me if I'm keeping mitzvahs, I'm keeping Shabbos, I'm putting on tefillin, do you want to daven, do you want to learn? He just let me flow with the moment. So then, and he's sitting with his friends, he's maybe, he's got a little tape recorder, a Walkman, all the tape recorders and cassettes, and he would come up with a little nigan and he would sing to it, let him remember it, and he would be learning, speaking to the other Haverim, special guys, it All made me feel so good, you know? This is how it started. And at some point, he told me, his, I won't tell you the details, he told me, his, I told him I'm interested in going yoga, he tells me I'm going to Israel, can you join me? I'll be there in two weeks' time. It's going to be so high. I didn't plan on it, but sure enough, uh, the plans were set up already in Shemaim, and I was in Israel within two weeks. I moved right into Diaspora Yeshiva. I met Mickey Shur, who was a very famous songwriter, and he was part of the Diaspora Shiva band. He had welcomed me to the Diaspora Yeshiva by Shlomo's behest. Shlomo knew, I had already told him that I'm coming. And make place for me, give me a room, and when he comes a day later or two days later, I would join them for the teachings that Shlomo was going to be teaching. And that's how it all started. It started with Shlomo's music, and it continued with me playing Shlomo's music and turning a very big, uh, you know, 100 degrees, 180 degree turnaround to a different direction. And suddenly I'm singing Shlomo's music, and there, there I am in Heart of Jew- in Heartzy on with all these hippies of Jewish music, these really cool guys with big uh, knitted hippies. I'm wearing one right now, just, to, just that I never really changed from that whole way of life because I felt it was very deep and beautiful, lyrical, musical, and, uh, and sweet. And that's where it started, and uh, there you see the Segula of being a Yiddish who likes to sing his Yiddishkeit, who likes to dance his Yiddishkeit, who likes to express his love for Tari, for Hashem, Tari, and and the Jewish nation, and the whole world. You should love the whole world because everything is a creation of the One Shadonim.
1: So did you wind up uh, staying in Eretz Israel at that point?
0: I did indeed. To the point that I couldn't even fathom leaving. I don't think I left the... Israel for six years or more, no, maybe 10 years or more, I, and I hardly left the old city in a certain way, I became so attached to Diaspora uh, Shiva, Mount Zion, which is still in existence, my friends, it's still going strong, Diaspora Shiva band was in its heyday, 75, 76, they were like copying, they were making malevolent malkas, and I was joining in with them. And I was learning Jewish music, and I was writing Jewish music with God's help, and I was writing songs with my dear friend Rabbi Zvi Miller, uh, Rabbi Miller, who today is as a as a um, an What are they doing? They are doing a, a Musav of and Musav, a Musav. A Musav de rabbis and hey, whatever. It's a beautiful thing. And he was my songwriter, and I was his. I was the musician. He was the lyricist. I was the the music maker, and this is how we started our first, my first, um, uh, what's the word, Jewish music uh, enterprise, is a word for collaboration, they call it, and in Mamash, some great songs came out of that period, very yeah. special songs, which took off in my yeshiva days, and I got known, and I was making some great songs about Torah, about weddings, because we did a lot of weddings, I had a wedding song, which was very special, we used to sing it, at all the weddings, all the shepherds brachas, Etc., etc., etc. And there the music and King David's Psalms. Psalms was born in Mount Zion by Kevad David, is where we know we sense David's presence more than anywhere. So, Psalms, the Hillam, and the various musical renditions of David Amalek's beautiful Psalms came into light. We sing them, we're dancing them, and so on and so forth. That's how it all began.
1: And then, at some point, you decided that uh, it's time for you to go on tour, and you started traveling around the world. Correct?
0: That came quite a while. It actually came twenty years after my meeting Shlomo. And I think about it. My American tours began in '96, and I did a lot of tours. I made a lot of visits to the whole, you know, to the states and to communities. I went up and down the country. I met. I went to California. I went to Chicago. I went to uh, to Miami. I went to uh, Florida, of course. I went to many, many, many areas of America. I went to uh, not to all the places. I went constantly. There was many often many times in Baltimore, and to, uh, um, whatever I can't remember all the places. Detroit and and Ohio. And um, I was in uh, Texas, Arizona. Texas. So you
1: met a lot of people, a lot of Jews that um, were away David, from home.
0: A lot of Jews. And, of course, my center was New York, New Jersey. And uh, I got so close to so many people and so many families and many, many schools. You know, there were a few places where I was really, really based on. Started off in uh, La Riverdale by, by uh, Avi. Avi, wait! What's his name? Avi. uh, Avi Weiss. Avi Weiss. I was in his shul very, 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 very few, quite a few times in my early days and my first trips. Thereafter, we moved over to the Five Towns and to Queens. I ended up in the Esh Kodesh of Rabbi Weinberger Shlitah, and of course, Avi Weiss who were very, very kind and warm to me and opened up the doors, Uh, you know. And I sang with the the chazanim and with the with the chaverim and. They had tremendous concerts and tremendous Shabbatot, and we would have a couple of Shabbat on many occasions. Shalashid together, families. Very beautiful. It was very, very heart, heart-rending.
1: So with all your experience in traveling around around the United States and in different places in the world and meeting many Jews that are not home, were you able to influence, were you able to inspire people to come home? Did you speak to people about Coming back to Eretz Israel? Yeah,
0: yeah, I was crazy about Eretz Israel. I was nuts about Eretz Israel because to me, Eretz Israel was like, oh, you know, you talked about being spiritual. So, yes, that that is 100% true. The Eretz Israel, it says that Shem's eyes are on Yerushalayim and Eretz Israel all the time. It's not a small statement that, you know, the. Um, it's in the it's in the, in the state of the Torah, right? That's where it says that. Yes, Hashem His eyes are from, from the on, beginning
1: of the year to the end of the year.
0: Right, from the beginning of the year, there is no country that has that that God's eyes are there every every second. It just doesn't exist. There is some hashgachah about this in every places in the world at certain times at certain moments, but that it's always there, and that you're taking Meisters and trumas and only in Eretz Yisrael and nowhere else in the world. What's happening there? You, you know, people don't. Quite get it. It's 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 written all over Scripture. It's all written all over the Talmud. It's all over the Midrashim. It's written all over the Zohar. And the Chassidushev is knew about it. And everybody knew about it.
1: So were people um, responsive to your to your? Uh, yeah, yeah,
0: I You know, we loved each other. I, you know, I, I had a deep love for every everywhere and everybody. I don't know how. You know if I, how how much I affected everybody at every moment. I'm sure that many people wish I was somewhere else at that particular moment. I, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. But, but I surely it affected people. I, I, there are people who tell me, in retrospect, that they made aliyah. They would, they would talk to me. They would see me. They would. I would come time after time. I would see people over and over again. I, you know, tried not to be a nudge, but I was a nudge. I was a big nudge. And sometimes I, I didn't upset people somehow. I don't know why. I would think I did, but I didn't. I, mean, I had a soft, soft side to me. But I did affect people. And other people told me on a different level that they would buy my albums and my, make a sex and my CDs, which people don't know so much about these days. Uh, today you can listen to Spotify or whatever. You can find a way to hear my music on YouTube. Everything is on YouTube. And uh, you can hear a song. So if they would hear songs, And they would go back in time to either a concert or that they lived in Israel for a year or two. They went to yeshiva or to seminar. Or they got married and they lived in Israel for the first three years. And then went back to New York or back to New Jersey. Whatever the story. I I can't pinpoint on every one case. And they would sit up on Shabbos or Arab Shabbos. They would hear the song and they would have the cassette going. And as they were preparing for Shabbos, they would make a love of Malka. And they would listen to my songs, or this song, and that song. And many said they would, they would listen to the music and cry. And they would cry and they would remember how deeply touched they were. And whatever it was, whether they were living in Israel, they came to Malav Malka on Mount Zion. They saw me there. They saw other people. They saw the Diaspora Shiva Band. They saw me in concert at other places or in New York or New Jersey. And it touched
1: memories. Al-Naharot <laughs> Bavel, sham gam That's uh, exactly what... I, I'm curious to know whether you have any... Did you create? Did you compose any songs that were, uh, for lack of a better word, an Aliyah song, something that was meant to inspire people specifically about Eretz Israel?
0: I, I, I tell you the truth, yes. You could say that, but I didn't do it on that level. The song... My well-known song, at least known by those of them who know me, they know about a song called Open Up Your Gates. Open up uh, uh, yom, um, um. Open up all your gates, Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim, let me, open up, mm. anyway, that's, it's got three verses and it's got a it's chorus, it's got a chorus, that's the chorus, and it has this history, because I wrote the first part of the song, just the chorus part, and just, just one liner, before I left Israel, when I was still in the Kibbutz. And I, on the plane, on the way out, I I just had this, kind of harada, fear, panic, that maybe I'll never come back to Yerushalayim. And nobody, I'll never know, why I was so deeply connected to Yerushalayim. Because basically, I'd visited Yerushalayim, maybe three days, four days, in my trip to, Israel. That eight months or ten months that I was here, I do not think I spent more than eight days here at Sacha Kol. And why was it connected here? Let's say Tel Aviv or or, uh, or where I went or to the you know the other places. But I was thinking Yerushalayim, and I didn't have. I wasn't thinking from a Yiddish Yiddishkeit perspective. But I didn't learn anything. I wasn't in Yeshiva yet. I knew nothing. But I I had this charada. I wrote the song, Open Up All Your Gates, Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim, Let Me In. Open Up, mm, 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 mm. open up, uh, uh, oh. etc.
1: So, t- and then, yeah. Yeah, t- finish the story, and then I have another question for you.
0: Okay. So, anyway, when I came back in 75, two years later, a year and a half later, It didn't take, it took a while. Uh, In the year 86, which is a good 10, 11 years later, I was writing my first album. I was uh, producing an album. And these are songs that came to me from that 10 years while I was in Israel, based on my earlier experiences and uh, styles of music, very Western styles of music. And uh, making them into Jewish, you know, beautiful Jewish uh, uh, composition of beautiful, uh, hopefully beautiful. And uh, and then suddenly, after that first album, I was walking along the, street, the roofs of of Yerushalayim, Galitzia, on the way to Galizia, Just walking, I love walking Yerushalayim, on and on, back and forth, in and out, alleyways, new places, old places, places which were just sand and mud. And I would just go everywhere, and there I was in Galizia and I take a right, almost on Galicia, walking over the shuk, take a right, the Harabites, and this after all this time I started thinking to myself I open up all your gates shall is already 12 years later and I'm, already, I'm living living in Israel and I have this beautiful little chorus piece and I'm thinking well I'm making another album wow that could be a great song it's such a that's such a expression of love of Israel in it but it's not a song it's just the, it's just the chorus and and, and, and sweet enough, sweet enough, Hashem opens up. Can I sing you just that one verse, the first verse, the three verses? Uh, with my guitar, you can sing. Please, that.
1: please. I've
0: been searching all so long. When will we reach a city walls? I raise up my eyes to the heavens above. Dear Lord, we will never despair. Well, if I could only tell you just how beautiful it was. Holy mountain with the light of all ages. Stone walls dance a flaming sets of blaze, leaving skies. As if the heavens came down in great rejoicing. Open up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Open up. Uh, uh, um, um, um. Open up.
1: All your gates,
0: Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim, let me in. Open up all your gates, Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim, let me in. Open up, mama, mama, open up, yeah, yeah. Open up, mm-mm, Yerushalayim. You hear the the city walls dance, flaming, sets ablaze the evening skies. You walk down at sunset, you know, coming down from Jaffa Gate, Jaffa Road, and you look at the walls of Jerusalem. The sun is falling down on the walls, and it's on gold, it's on fire. But it's not a physical fire, it's a spiritual fire. How beautiful it was, Holy Mountain. With the light
1: of all ages. It's so you're speaking light. about you're speaking about a a subliminal message that is being given out, given through your lyrics uh, about Aliyah, about Jerusalem, about Eretz Israel. I just want to ask you a question. Maybe you haven't thought about it. Maybe you have about many, maybe many of the most famous Jewish singers. Let's let's just put it that way that sing songs that every every orthodox Jew growing up has sung mm-hmm. and they also have subliminal messages but they're not necessarily the same message when you hear songs that are called um no Jew will be left behind or or the bring the house down or things that that suggest the opposite that we should stay in galut we should stay in exile and we should just wait because God is going to do His magic and make it make it happen. We don't have to d- make any any steps forward to do it ourselves. Do you have any thoughts about that?
0: Uh, yeah, I try to you know uh, go even keel, low key, low key on these things because uh, everybody needs to hear what they need to hear when they need to hear. And I don't. And I, yeah, I I, uh, I definitely know what you're saying.
1: Um, it's something it, I, as a, a being, having grown up in an Orthodox family and singing these songs, and I never even thought about the words. Like the words were something that you just sang. I mean, they were, they, I wasn't thinking about the deeper meaning. And then once I came there as a and I started being more connected to the land. These these words started really irking me. They really started bothering me that 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 they were suggesting things which I feel are completely. The opposite of what is meant to happen today.
0: Yeah, I, I hear. I hear. There, there is such a thing. Yeah, there's a lot of things like that where uh, built communities, built uh, systems of, uh, you know, mishpocha communities uh, worldwide have a good thing going in their eyes. What they think is a good thing. What they believe is a good thing. They want to continue with the status quo until you know miracles happen and they move to the next thing.
1: I think the climax of this, Chaim David, was, was actually this past year where two uh, famous singers got together and redid a, an older song. But they wrote a song about how we have to take the message from Corona and we have to bring ourselves back home. Bring ourselves back and you listen to this song, and this was a, a, the greatest opportunity for Jewish, well-known singers to, to deliver the message that it's time to come home to Eretz Israel, but the song has nothing to do with Eretz Israel. It has to do with it's getting back to the shuls, which we've been locked out of because of corona. And I felt, I felt like, w- what a waste— that they're using their music, they're using their lyrics, and they're, they're just missing the But It's like, it's like you're, you're, you have a direct connection. You're, you're davening to their bonus shalom, and you can ask anything in the world. You can ask for a base of migdash for the gu'ula, and you get up and you ask, you know, can I have some bread and water because I'm, I'm hungry? I mean, you're, you're just, it's just missing the, the ikar, missing the, the, what, what's actually important.
0: I don't. I. I. am not
1: asking you to speak about specific songs or specific yeah. singers. That, that is, <laughs> it's a concept that I'm bringing up.
0: Yeah. No. I. I. I yeah. Listen. I, I think everybody's going to wake up when they wake up. How they wake up, I. I hope. Uh, I hope your passion uh, re- realizes its its goal and beauty of the uh, love of Eretz Yisrael uh, yeah. and the connection of Am Yisrael to Eretz Yisrael. It is it is sorely missing. It's so sorely missing, everywhere, everywhere in the world. And um, yeah, I, I, I certainly share your passion, and I and I wish I knew what to say about that. But uh, God gives people chances and messages. Let's just hope that we're getting the right messages and not making mistakes. It's just not making mistakes.
1: You know? And on that note, we have to conclude. But I, I think the messages today are clearer than ever. The messages that we're living through today, uh, over the fact that you know your song was perfect for the for what's happening because the gates uh, are slowly closing. A year ago, a year ago to almost almost to this week was when the Israeli government decided to uh, initiate their closures of tourists coming into the country. And I said at that point that this is a clear sign from a Baruch Hu that it's time to get up and make Aliyah. Everybody can do it. You can still make Aliyah. You can get on a plane. You can come home. But this is a sign, the writing is on the wall, that their time is limited. The gates are closing. And then a year later, this past week, Israel made an unprecedented ruling, at least temporarily, to say that even is even not only cannot can tourists cannot come and not only Olim Chadashim new immigrants can't come but even Israeli citizens that are out of the country are now blocked the gates are closed and 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 Yeah so this this is unbelievable that that these signs even if it's something that's temporary just for a couple of weeks maybe longer these signs are getting stronger and stronger that it's time to come home while we can because that that, that opportunity may not always be around
0: I always ask the question. I, I hear you loud and clear. I always ask the question when uh, Jabotinsky they, they did a tour of Europe in uh, pre, pre-Nazi Germany, or at the time that they were starting to take over, and he did a long tour. I don't know the details. And Jabotinsky wasn't a religious man, but I, as far as I understood, but he was a fully-fledged, you know, believer in the land of Israel and the, and the homeland of Am Israel belongs here. And he went from place to place. And he begged people to, to get, get out of Europe. I, I, you know what I'm talking about? You must know I, more I, than
1: I... Not only do I know what you're talking about, we actually um, were speaking about it the other day on my live show with uh, Tamar Yonah. And uh, Tamar was saying how her grandfather um, actually hosted Jabotinsky, the shul where, where he lived, um, said that he was a conspiracy theorist. And he was just using scare tactics to, to try to scare the Jews and they wouldn't let him speak. And, and her grandfather let him, uh, had, had some sort of chug, you know, they had some sort of parlor meeting and they were able to have him speak in his house. And, and, and she said, you know, sometimes the conspiracy theorists turn out being, being right. And that's, that's very scary, especially when we look at somebody like Jabotinsky.
0: You know, I don't want to. I don't want to end on a negative note because you know the Yidden is special and beautiful, and they have real deep dreams and deep visions. So I just want to wish and bless my holy, you know, chaverim, far and wide, that uh, we so long to see all of Yis- all of Israel coming back for Chagim and Yomim Tovim, and not just Chavim, Yom Tovim, to realize that there is a possibility to come with a one-way ticket. And it's mamish works. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families are coming every, every year and uh, making that decision. And uh, I, you know, I don't want to say you have to do anything. Just do what's right. And just open your, uh, uh, your, your eyes and your hearts and uh, beg to Hashem to t- teach you the essence the of each situation. Don't go with the chitzonis. Don't go with the popular opinion that's running, running the show deep, deep inside of you. Where do you want your children to run around, play, and where do they want them to play and run around and grow up? What shi'ivas? What schools? What environments? Please open your hearts, open up your minds, open up your gates, your shalim. and uh, don't close your eyes. It's a very, very scary time. Like I wanted to. Uh,
1: I wanted to just uh, read a very short passage from Rav Arya Kaplan, the great Rav Arya Kaplan. Um, in his book, The Real Messiah. So he he writes at the end of it, he writes, We live in an accelerated age. A man of 2,000 years ago would not find the world of 200 years ago very different. But the man of 200 years ago, if transported to today's society, would find himself in a world beyond his wildest imagination. And in the midst of this, why do we suddenly find a generation that will no longer tolerate war, injustice, and inequality, the poisoning of our environment, or any other of the evils that we once felt were inevitable. Is there any relationship between the information explosion and man's increased awareness of social justice? We we might seek sociological reasons connecting the two. We might dismiss it as mere coincidence. However, there is a third ingredient, one that affects the entire world but is uniquely related to us as Jews. After 2,000 years of suffering and prayer, we are we are once again in control of our ancient homeland. Again, the relationship between this and the other two could be dismissed as mere coincidence, except for one thing. It has been foretold. If one looks with an unprejudiced eye at the world today, he will see that we are living in an age where almost all the Jewish prophecies regarding the prelude to the Messianic Age are coming to pass. Even the most doubtful skeptic cannot help wondering how this could be more mere coincidence. The man with clear vision can truly see the hand of God at work. Living on the threshold of the Messianic age as we do should be a most exciting experience for any Jew. Other generations have expected the Messiah's imminent appearance based on the forced interpretation of one or two prophecies, whereas we are living through the entire range of of messianic tradition, often coming to pass with uncanny literalness. If you keep your eyes open, you could almost see every headline bringing us a step closer to this goal. And I, I, I uh, definitely feel this. And I, and I see every headline today bringing us closer to that, uh, to that goal. And that's the goal of uh, bringing them home. And uh, hopefully, we will reach some of the Jews. Well, we can. I thank you so much, Chaim Dover, for coming on the show and appreciate your time and, 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 and pouring out your heart to us and your story. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you, Yeshua. Sure. Thank you very much. And love to all those beautiful people out there. I hope we, we're closer than we were before, not further away.
1: Oh, Amen. Oh, Amen. Be, Be well. This is my- thank you for listening to the Bring Them Home Aaliyah podcast. If you identify with our message, please subscribe and tell your friends about us, too. You can leave us a review
0: on iTunes, as that really helps us grow. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. For sponsorship opportunities and for all other inquiries, please email us at bringthemhomeisrael at gmail.com. Check out our website at www.israeltorah.org for more content on this vital topic.